Well, we wanna welcome everybody today, and man, we're so glad that you're with us at all of our different campuses. And man, I know everybody's kinda of thinking about the Super Bowl and different things, so I kinda of wanna take a poll to see where we are. Any Bengals fans, Bengals gonna pull it off? Okay, all right, what about Rams, anybody? Wow, that's, that's weak. How about if um, you just honestly don't care? We got majority of the folks, okay. And let, hey, a real moment of honesty, how many of you are actually just gonna watch the Super Bowl for the halftime show with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg? <laughs> oh man, I love it because all the parents and the adults, you're about to be completely exposed. Your kids are gonna know who you've been watching and grew up listening to. And, um, and so, man, glad that you're with us. Fellas, don't forget Valentine's Day's uh, tomorrow, okay? Um, anyhow, series that we're in is called uh, One of One. And it's really just talking about God's design in different things. And God's design in our identity was what we talked about last week. And so if you missed that message, please go back and watch it. Uh, our pastor, Jeff, did an amazing job getting it kicked off. Today, we're having a conversation about God's design in marriage, like the, God's ultimately design, what its purpose is and the origins of it. And it's gonna be a great conversation, I promise. Like I've been praying for this moment that God would use our time together. It's not, cause I know I've been like sitting there before where the marriage talk comes and you think, oh boy, here we go. It's totally not that. Uh, and then uh, next week is kind of God's design, uh, like our identity within the family of God. It's gonna be an amazing message and just practical, kind of unique in some different ways. And so uh, kind of mark that on your calendar for next Sunday. So when we think through marriage, and if we were to categorize it into two kind of big categories, uh, we'd probably say that, you know, there's one category where you would say, hey, my marriage is flourishing. Like, woo, it's better than it's ever been. It's awesome. And it's probably because you've been married two weeks. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of you, your marriage is honestly amazing. And praise God for that, because here's what's happened. If you would say like, hey, my marriage is flourishing. Talked to a guy just a few moments ago. He's like, yeah, we've been married like 40 something years. And his wife said, uh, yeah, 30 of them were good. <laughs> and, uh, but here's the thing, if like, if the marriage is flourishing, you figured out how to connect. You figured out how to love each other. You figured out how to serve each other. And man, that's a great thing. And then the other group would be the ones that say, you know, my marriage isn't flourishing. It's more about floundering. And we're trying to figure this thing out. And for a lot, you're, you're, some are thinking like, man, is this as good as it gets? Is it ever gonna get any better? And for some, man, like, I'm not downplaying it. I'm not making light of it because there are some people and families where you're just wondering if you're actually gonna be married at this point next year. There's been a lot of hurt and a lot of betrayal and different things that have taken place. And so you're kind of in the trenches right now trying to figure out how to navigate it. And so here's the thing, regardless if it's, if it's flourishing, regardless if it's floundering, marriage is messy. But I'm telling you, it is a, it, it's a mess. It, it's, a, it's worth fighting for. And there might be some folks saying, hey, Timmy, there's a third category. It's called single. Hello. And I haven't forgot about you. And so here's the thing is, yes, I believe that this message, honestly, is probably more practical for the single people than the married people. Because I'm telling you, like, I wish that I had this information, not because I'm the one speaking, but I wish I had this information when I was single or when I was engaged or kind of starting off in marriage because it would have saved so much. It would have been so enlightening. Um, and so here's the deal. It's the passage that we're going to look at is in Ephesians chapter 5. 
And the text that we're gonna look at in Ephesians chapter five, full disclosure, in 2022, it's kind of a hot topic because a lot of people would look at Ephesians chapter five and the text that we're looking at and saying, oh, that's outdated. You know, it's not applicable for today. You know, it's not the case. And here's the thing, I wanna pause there just for a quick second because if we've submitted our lives to Christ, here's the thing that's true about the word of God is that it's never outdated. It stands the test of time. And for those that have put their faith in Jesus, then guess what? We have to accept that the word of God is the authority over our lives. And also too, when we look at Ephesians chapter five, and when we start to understand the backdrop, the context, man, this passage comes to life. Because what was taking place in Ephesus was Paul was writing a letter to the believers there. And really what was taking place in Ephesus was just, it was chaos. Like the, 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 the town, the city, like it was, it was highly sexualized. It was completely distorted. Marriages were just crumbling and were, were taken way out of context and just completely being destroyed. And so into this setting, Paul's writing a letter to the church there, to the believers. He's saying, hey, here's, here's how the Christian marriage can operate because it's definitely not the way that it was in Ephesus. And so he's trying to encourage the believers. He's trying to, to, to talk to the men and talk to the women because also something I found fascinating, and I, I'm sure nobody goes and reads and looks up like first century culture of Ephesus, but I did, okay? And here's the thing that I found so fascinating is there's this Greek goddess called Artemis in, in, in Ephesus, in that, in that culture, in that time, and there was a cult following around her, primarily women. And it was gaining a lot of steam and a lot of traction because she was the fertility goddess. She was the, the sexuality goddess. And so there was this like cult following of her. And what was happening is the women, they were being celebrated for just completely running out on their husbands and leaving them and divorcing them. And that was being celebrated. That was being honored in that culture. And not only that, it, what was also being celebrated is the women were kind of dangling sex over their husband as a manipulation tactic, as a way to control things. And so those things were being celebrated. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have these women that literally felt like they had no dignity whatsoever. They felt like they just had to submit and please whatever man came towards them. And so what Paul was doing was writing this text. It's like the great equalizer kind of getting the women that had gone rogue, trying to get them to see some perspective, but also trying to elevate some of these other women. And then to the men, what was going on with men was they, they literally had no respect at all for their wife, none. Get this, the men saw the women strictly as a means to having a son, someone to carry the family legacy. That was it. They, uh, they, they went for intimacy, they went to other people. They wouldn't even, they said their wife didn't deserve it. And so here's the crazy, that was a crazy context that we were in. And so marriages is completely falling apart, completely distorted. And then all of a sudden, this is what Paul says, hey, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So now there's this mutual submission to each other and to the wives that were kind of just going rogue and the ones that felt like they had no human dignity at all, he says to the wives, he says, hey, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, 
of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. And remember the men who had no respect for their wife whatsoever. To the men, he said, hey, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I mean, after all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they fed it and they cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one in flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wives must respect their husbands. And here's the thing is, as I was kind of like preparing for today and thinking through things, there was one author out there that summarized this so beautifully. And listen to what he said. He said, in full context of this whole passage, this passage does not present a wife living in submission to a dominant husband. Instead, this is a picture of two people in mutual submission to Christ and a wife submitting to a godly man who leads the home spiritually and who loves his wife more than he loves himself. This is the most beautiful of love stories. I love the conclusion. A story of mutual love and submission of two individuals ever growing more and more into one. And so today, man, the heart is, is not to have like four points where we run out of here and do it. No, no, no. The heart's just to have a conversation about marriage and God's design for marriage. And hopefully it sets you up to have conversations after this. And so here's the thing, the components of marriage is this, is that marriage, first thing that we see, it's a covenant. And I know we don't walk around using the word covenant. Like I've never really heard anyone say, yeah, I'm in the covenant of marriage. <laughs> like it's just not like common lingo. So what is covenant? What is a covenant marriage? Well, here's the thing is that a marriage, a covenant marriage is a marriage that displays God's love for his people. How? Through a lifelong commitment to each other till death do us part, through a shared identity where you become one in flesh, and through an exclusive relationship where it's saying, hey, my eyes and my heart are after you and you alone. Because the origin of marriage, and this is the amazing thing, it's kind of hard to, to, to picture and say, yes, this is us, but the origin of marriage is this, is that the way that we love each other and the way that we serve each other and the way that we interact with each other in marriage, guess what? It's supposed to display and resemble and be a picture to how Christ loves us and how Christ serves us and how he's pursued us. So the way that we pursue each other is supposed to model the way that Christ has pursued us. Man, that's just mind-blowing. And so think about what are some of the ways that Christ has pursued you? His love for you and Jesus' pursuit after you, it's been intentional, super intentional. It's not random. No, his pursuit after you is very calculated. 
and very intentional and very methodical in the ways that he's pursued you, the ways that he's loved you. The other thing is that his love for you, it's unconditional. Meaning there's nothing you can't perform to make God love you more or to make him love you less. No, it's simply unconditional, meaning it's not a contract. Like if you do this, I'll do that. No, 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 it's unconditional. And the last two are so good is this. When you think about the way Jesus lived and the way that he operated and the way that he pursued us here on planet earth, here's the thing is we see that it required submission. You might think, huh? Jesus submitted and had respect for his heavenly father. So on his way to the cross, there was submission to his heavenly father. Not my will, but your will be done. Not only was there submission, but get this, there was sacrifice where Jesus laid his life down so that we could be restored to God. And so, and so watch how this plays out. And so when women, when you submit and have respect for your husbands, you know what it does? Man, it models the way that Jesus submitted to his heavenly father. And husbands, when you sacrifice for your wife and you serve your wife unconditionally so that she can flourish, man, it's a model. And it shows the way that Jesus sacrificed for us. And I know that this is great in theory, and so I get it. But this is the design in a covenant marriage, man, where we're intentional, intentionally pursuing each other. It's unconditional. Like, hey, I'll do that if you wash the clothes. No, that's contractual. It's unconditional. There's submission and there's sacrifice. And in doing that, it's a picture of the way that God has pursued us. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Doesn't it make sense that if marriage is supposed to display the way that Christ loves the church, doesn't it make sense the enemy wants to destroy your marriage? Yes. The enemy wants nothing more to destroy our marriages. You know why? Because if the enemy can make the marriage flounder, guess what? Everything else is gonna fall in suit. The family will most likely flounder. But if we can figure out, and it takes work, it takes time, it takes energy, man, but if we can figure out how to slowly make our marriage and, and with the power of God to where it starts to flourish, then guess what? The family's gonna flourish. And here my heart in this is, man, I know that there's, there's so many different landscapes and different you know, facets of marriage and singleness all throughout the rooms and all throughout our campuses. And here's the thing, the heart behind it is, man, we want your marriage to flourish. Gosh, I want your marriage to flourish. I can't tell you how many times we sat and not just me, all of our pastors sat across with people whose marriages are floundering. They're just like, just, I don't know if this is gonna work. We want your marriage to stand the test of time, to be able to navigate the trials and the temptations. And get this, we, I want it to be a marriage that you actually wanna come home to, one that you enjoy. And so marriage is about a covenant. The other thing that marriage is about, it's about a mission. That, that marriage is not about just cohabitating, but it's about co-laboring together. For all the married couples, like I truly believe that together, when you're one in flesh, together, that your marriage can accomplish more for the kingdom of God than you ever could as individuals. Because marriage doesn't make sense apart from the mission of God. Like it's all a part of the ultimate plan. Like go back all the way to Genesis. 
Think about in Genesis 2, the origins of marriage. What had taken place? Well, you got God. He created everything. He created heavens and the earth. He created, you know, the plants and the animals and fruits and vegetables, all the stuff. So God created everything. And then in the midst of that, God created man, which was Adam. And then once he created Adam, he says, hey, Adam, I have a role for you. I have a mission for you. Well, why don't you tend to everything that I created, create order, create structure, and rule over everything. So now you got man and you got a mission. And it's into that setting where God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make a helper. I'm gonna make a co-laborer that's suitable for him. I'm not gonna make a bologna sandwich maker and someone attend to the house. No, I'm making someone that can co-labor with them because it's about a mission. And here's the thing, if we can just pause and, and lean into this just for a second on a practical level, is it, think about this, like I'm telling you, when you're serving together, like and you're watching your wife serve, you're watching your husband serve, it stirs something in you. Like I'm just being honest and just being real. Like when you watch your husband like on the floor in KXP serving all these kids, teaching them the Bible, or you're, maybe you're serving a student, maybe you're like into community serving or global missions, whatever. But when you watch your spouse serve, it stirs something in you when you watch them be a part of what God's doing and to lean into spiritual things. Like I know for me, like, having to, like I've been with Nicole for 16 years and we've been married for 13 of them. And man, when I watch her serve and sacrifice time and energy and different things to invest in women and, and whatever the case might be, I'm just like, I mean, this might be too much information for you, but I, as I watch it play out, I'm like, that's my girl. I mean, I'm just being real. There was a time when we were in Southeast Asia and we're on this ferry, okay? This isn't like a romantic ferry. This was like Noah's Ark, okay? Like there was every animal you could think of chilling with us on this ferry. I mean, there's goats, there's chickens, you know, horses, all types of stuff on this ferry. And we were the only Americans, if you could imagine. Everybody else was from the Islam uh, background. And so they were just like watching us. And the, in, there was a, a group of like five women that man, everywhere Nicole went, like they were just watching her, like, oh my gosh, look at this girl. You know, I've never seen an American before. So they're like watching her. And I'm over here just like chilling with the chickens, trying to hang out, trying to stay clean. And they're just watching Nicole. So eventually Nicole goes and grabs our translator and she goes over and starts to have a conversation with them. I'm thinking, huh, this is cool. You know, let's see how this plays out. And so I'm like watching it all play out. Next thing I know, Nicole's sharing the gospel with them. I'm thinking, well, I don't know how this is actually gonna go because we, we can't run. Like we can't get off the boat. Like we're here in the middle of some unknown ocean. And all of a sudden, after a little while, Nicole comes back. And man, she's like overwhelmed. And she, she's crying and she's overwhelmed. She's like, Timmy, like, it was amazing. Like, I shared the gospel. They'd never heard about Jesus. Like, I hope it's okay. And I was like, yeah, I think we might die, but I love you. That was awesome. Go get them. Like, it just does something to you because we've been designed to be a part of a mission. And so, Marriage is about a mission. And if you're single, you're probably thinking, well, I don't have anybody to co-labor with. <laughs> and I mean, I get it. But here's the thing that Paul says, and, and I think it's 1 Corinthians. Paul says this. He says, hey, single, if you're single, you don't have the responsibility of marriage because marriage can kind of distract you at times. So you're freed up to serve. And so if you're single, man, you should be the greatest disciple makers. 
I'm telling you, leaned in, discipling young women, discipling guys. You're freed up to pursue the Lord and to serve. You don't have the distraction and the responsibility of marriage. That's Paul talking, not me. And then also too, marriage requires intentionality. A simple way to put this is be a student of your spouse. Bottom line. And don't raise your hand at any of our campuses, but how many of folks heard someone say, well, that's not the woman I married. I tell you what, I tell you, that's not the man I married 15 years ago. He's changed. And I would say, yeah, 100%. He's changed and you've changed. It's just the the, the nature of life. Nicole's not the, the girl I married 13 years ago. I'm not the same person. Man, think about all the stuff that you've navigated in life. All the struggles, all the stress, all the hurt, all the good times. Man, it changes you. And I mean, neuroscience speaks to it. Psychology speaks to it. And guess what? The Bible speaks to it. That none of us remain the same. Jesus, Paul says that when we pursue the Lord, it says that God's molding us one degree by one degree by one degree into his likeness. We're changing, but here's the thing. We have to change together and to be a student of our spouse. And so men, where you're just watching your wife, not in a creepy way, but you're kind of like watching her, you're studying her, you're paying attention to the things that she's passionate about, you're paying attention to these dreams and the things that have her stressed out, and you're just watching, and you're being a student, you know, and students have to study, so you're thinking and processing and praying, man, how can I serve her? How can I take this little dream that she has and flan it kind of into a reality? How can I do that? And wives, you're watching your husband with the stress and the different things that's going on and you're seeing the way, the things that they're processing, the things that you're thinking through and you're, you're thinking through, man, how, how can I support him? How can I encourage him? How can I serve him? And so we have to be a student of our spouse. And the last one is this, is that marriage requires continual tending, meaning marriage requires constant attention, constant tweaks, constant adjustments. So we, uh, we have this little fireplace in our house and uh, we finally got it working. And it's not one of those bougie fireplaces where you hit the button, it's like poof, poof, and the flame comes on and you can change the flame to blue or something. No, it's like one of those that you gotta put wood in the fireplace, okay? And I've become completely obsessed with it. I'm terrible at it. It usually dies before the room even gets hot, but I'm, I'm in it to win it, okay? And so like you get the wood going and all of a sudden you gotta throw wood on the fire. Like you gotta keep fresh wood on the fire. I've smoked out the house like a dozen times and then it's supposed to warm up the room. Sorry, I guess got warm up the room, but now we're sitting outside in the cold. Like Nicole's done with the fireplace, okay? But it requires throwing wood on the fire. And this is what I quickly learned is that if you don't keep fresh wood on the fire, guess what? The fire is gonna burn out. And the same is true with marriage. If we don't keep fresh logs on the fire, then guess what? The fire of marriage is going to burn out, bottom line. And one way that we can keep fresh wood on the fire is to create space to connect emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And so to create space to connect emotionally, and I know, listen, all the dudes right now are like, look, I'm not an emotional guy. Well, here's the thing. Men, we have to pursue our wife with words of affection. To pursue her with words of affection. Why? Because a woman wants to know the man she loves 
Caesar. Bottom line, a woman wants to be seen and noticed and valued, especially by the man that she loves the most. And, and so we pursue with words of affection where we say like, hey, I don't know if I, I, I've told you this in a while, but you look amazing. And I know y'all are thinking like, dude, you've lost your mind. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to step into, but man, and I'm not necessarily good at it, but we gotta do it. Like when's the last time, like you're, you're watching your, your wife with the kids or whatever the case might be, and you just say, hey, look, I don't know if I told you this in a long time, but you're an incredible mom. And our kids are lucky to have you. Hey, I'm a better person because of you. Thank you. And so you pursue your wife with words of affection. And, and women, you pursue your husband with words of affirmation. And here's why, because a man wants to know that the woman who knows him the best believes in him the most. And that's true. Like I can tell you that with, with me as I try to figure out how to navigate and lead our family and make decisions for our family. And sometimes they're terrible decisions. But what I wanna know at the end of the day is that Nicole, who knows me the best, that she believes in me, that she trusts me. Like that, that's what I wanna know. And, and so here's a little, little side note is this, is women, if, if you wanna shut your man down completely, all you have to do is this. All you have to do is criticize and critique every decision he, he makes and everything he tries to do to lead the family. And all of a sudden, what you'll notice about your man, he's gonna slide to the shadows. He's gonna stop leading altogether at home. He might be a great leader at work. He might keep leading other places, but he's gonna stop leading at home. And so pursue your husband with words of affirmation saying, hey, you're doing an amazing job leading our family. Figure out ways to support some decisions that he's trying to make. Figure out how just to affirm him in, in his workplace. It's words of affirmation. And so spiritually speaking as this is, we gotta create space to connect spiritually. Meaning like we gotta check on each other's hearts. And so here's how I get, I would bet most marriages end their day. If I were uh, uh, just, just guessing, I would say this, that about nine, 9.30, somehow or another, you end up in the same bed and you're laying there about a foot apart from each other and you're both like scrolling on the phone, right? Checking up on fake book and all the stuff. You're just kind of scrolling. And here's the deal. I know it's weird to like connect on a spiritual level. And I know that's difficult, but I'm telling you, step into it because it, one thing is just to lean over. Fellas, we gotta lead the way in this. Just kind of like lean over and say, hey, uh, how's your heart? Um, how, 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 how you doing? And she's gonna look back at you and, like you're an alien and say, good. And you're gonna be like, all right, good, here we go, keep scrolling. But then the next week you do it again and you check on your wife's heart. And next thing you'll know, it's gonna lead to a couple of sentences. And then you do it again the next week. And before long, in that moment, the phones are gonna be face down and you're looking at each other and you're talking it's just one of these moments where you're having a conversation about the Lord and how he's doing and the things that he's doing, the ways that you can pray for each other. And then lastly, is you create space to connect physically, to make intimacy a priority. And listen, when I got married 13 years ago, I thought that was a no brainer. You know, it was like, heck yeah, we're married, let's go. But the thing is, 
is after so many conversations and, and being married for 13 years and so many conversations with married folks, here's the thing that I quickly realized is that intimacy can quickly become a checkbox. Something that just has to happen sometime throughout the calendar year. And I'm telling you, we gotta figure out ways to make intimacy a priority, something that we enjoy, not just a checkbox. And then, you know, just to kind of end on a story as this is, uh, I was talking to a guy a few months ago and it was uh, just kind of talking with him, hey, how's life, how are things going? And I knew that both of his kids were off in college and had been there. And, and here's the deal is he's like, cause he's in this season of empty nest. I know nothing about it, but I was just asking him and kind of led to that conversation. I was like, well, how is that? He says, you know, Timmy, he said, uh, man, I rolled over about three weeks into this empty nest deal. He said, I rolled over and looked at my wife and he said, I quickly realized I didn't even know the woman that I was laying next to. He said, man, we spent 20 years raising kids, doing the best that we possibly could to set them up for success. He says, and we never kept the marriage alive. We never cultivated it. He's like, the, the fire burned out. And now we're figuring out ways to try to restart the fire. And here's the thing is, man, we want your marriage, I want your marriage to flourish. And I know that it's difficult, but through the power of God, like when Paul says, through mutual submission to each other, as we submit to Christ, we submit to each other and we submit to Christ and let the power of God start to lead us. But that is not an excuse to not be intentional. We have to be intentional in this. Continue to throw logs on the fire and let the Spirit of God fan, fan it into a flame. Marriage is worth fighting for. And if you're single, man, you're fighting and allowing the Lord to, to com completely mold you and start to develop character, start to develop passions inside of you to where when the time comes and you meet a man or you meet a woman, you know exactly who you are in Christ. No, no, no questions. And you're ready. And so this is how I want us to end is, especially for married people is, seeing it is a covenant, I wanna bring us back to some covenant language that you probably haven't heard unless you've attended a wedding in a while. And so what I would love to do is just encourage you at all of our campuses to, to just kind of bow your head, close your eyes, whatever you wanna do in this moment. And I just wanna read some covenant promises that one, reflect the way Christ loves you, and two, some vows that we had made. And so this is how we're gonna end as men. Do you promise to love her and to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love her unconditionally in all of her beauty and scars? Do you promise to serve her even in the difficult seasons? Do you promise to lead her with patience as Christ leads you. Men, do you promise to forgive her in moments of weakness? Do you promise to be committed to her in sickness and in health and to be faithful only to her from this day forward until Christ calls you home? And so ladies, do you promise to love him and to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love him unconditionally in all of his strengths and weaknesses? 
Ladies, do you promise to serve him even in the difficult seasons? Do you promise to pray for him as he leads your family? Do you promise to forgive him in the moments of weakness, to be committed to him in sickness and in health, and to be faithful only to him from this day forward until Christ calls you home? God, we love you. And God, I'll be the first to admit, along with a bunch of people we love and care about that marriage is difficult. And God, we know two big realities, that marriage is something you've ordained and you've instituted and that you are for 100%. The other reality is we know that the enemy is out to destroy it. And so God, we're just asking for your power. God, we're asking for your strength. God, we're asking for your wisdom to navigate the landscape of marriage and singleness and figuring all of this out. So God, I just pray that you would help us. God, I pray for for the men that would be able to step into the messiness of this and figure out what it looks like to serve and for women to figure out what it looks like to have respect. And there's this mutual submission to each other as they submit to you and your leading. And so God, I just pray that you would restore marriages. God, I pray that you would bring hope. God, I, pr- I pray that a year from now, God, the, the, the fire of marriage would be burning bl- bright for your glory. God, we love you. God, we trust you. God, help us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church podcast. To find a campus near you, check out venturechurch.org.